Hello, welcome to the GID podcast series. I'm Paris and I'll be speaking to my fellow designers about the pressing global problems that keep them up at night and the clever and creative ways they're trying to tackle them. Hi, welcome to the 11th episode of the GID podcast series. So today it's going to be a little bit different. Um, I've got Jess Riley here with me, she was on the very first episode of the podcast, and she's actually going to be asking me about my project and the work that um, I've been doing over the past six months. So you've heard bits and bobs about it over the past few episodes. Um, Just to give a bit of context, my name's Parasan O'Shea. I'm passionate about increasing opportunities for young people from underprivileged backgrounds. And I've usually done this um, on projects around education. So looking at redesigning traditional curriculums um, and trying to make school systems more engaging and inspiring for all students. Uh, So that's kind of a bit of an intro to who I am. And now over to Jess, who's gonna be asking the questions today. Okay, thank you very much. Um, So firstly, could you just tell us a little bit more about your project? Yes, sure. Um, So for the past six months, I've been working on a project called Empower, uh, and it's basically an alternative education system that's intentionally inspiring and engaging. And so what does that mean? Um, I kind of looked at the existing system and it was very apparent that lots of children were kind of left out of the current system, especially those that were sort of growing up in poverty, who had um, like lower career aspirations and um, less opportunities and were more likely to drop out of school. So one in 10 children who grow up in poverty um, drop out of school and one in five become disengaged. And so they don't get the grades that they should be getting and they're not growing up in the environments that are inspiring. So I kind of, that was what my project was about, seeing how we could redesign the education system um, to sort of catch these kids before they drop out of the system. Okay, great. And what what was it that um, sort of first inspired you to take your project there and focus on that kind of specific challenge? So um, where I grew up, I had a lot of friends who didn't go down the academic route and they were kind of um, sort of dropped out of school really early on. So even before 16 in some cases. And then for me, because I did go down the academic route and I went into higher education and then privileged enough to do a master's, I found that I just had so many more opportunities than um, my friends that didn't, for example. And I remember when we were younger, these kids would have um, like their first jobs when they were like 14, 15, getting paid cash in hand, 50 pounds a day, which when you're 14 seems like a lot of money. And then gradually as everybody gets older, you realise that that money isn't kind of increasing at the rate it is for everybody else and so I think uh, when I started GID it was the first time where I sort of reflected on like what I'm passionate about what kind of problems I want to solve um, and that was kind of led me back to thinking about when I grew up and the friends that I grew up with and so I guess I started from there of like these young people that I knew about and then sort of figured out at what point is it that this sort of pivot happens where some kids excel and get given loads of opportunities and some just don't and it feels like they kind of get left behind and I think um, education was that key pivot point and so that sort of left me with education as the solution to this problem that inspired me. Okay, and so I suppose it sounds like um, it was something that was really kind of on based in personal reflection and kind of came from, I guess, quite an instinctive uh, perspective to say, okay, this is what I'm really interested in. Um, And so what was the first, I suppose, step 
towards once you'd identified that this was something you're really interested in and you kind of identified this problem what was the first step you took to finding the solution mm-hmm. that was education so um, obviously the GID program's two years long and in the first term we had vision and vision I think was the first time over my years of education that I sort of had the space to breathe and think about this sort of purpose piece which I already mentioned and then from there I think um, on the design aspect it was something that was new to me so my background was in physics um, and so design was all about looking at the user and understanding people and so I guess um, that was like a key thing for me that I wanted to go back and really speak to friends that went through these experiences and understand sort of the bigger system. Um, so I spent a lot of time in interviews with like young people who dropped out of school. Um, I then went to Youth Connections, which is the youth services in Watford where I grew up um, and spent some time with the youth advisors there trying to understand like who's responsible for these kids, like who are the stakeholders that are making the decisions. Um, So I did lots of interviews and then after that I wanted to have a bit more of like a theoretical approach. So I think the empathy piece I really managed to tackle because it was such a personal um, problem to me. And then it was more like theoretical of, okay, what are the theories behind engagement and behaviour change and things like that? And so one of the things that I looked at was um, ownership by design, which is like this theorem around how you can design for behaviour change. And so I guess in this case, it was like engagement and education would have been the change because that was sort of where I thought was the pivot point. Um, And then the other thing was about self-determined learning. So the existing education system is kind of very much one way. And I felt like these kids didn't really have the opportunity to sort of explain or not even just explain, like discover what they're passionate about and what it is they want to do and why education could be important to them. And so self-determined learning is very much like self-driven. So yeah, I guess it was like lots of user studies and interviews and then kind of looking at the theories behind it because I wanted it to be um, not just this abstract concept of like, what could education be? I wanted it to really be embedded in these theories. Um mm. Yeah, so I guess that's sort of like the approach that I got to education and how I kind of wanted to look at the problem. And um, I know that your your project um, definitely wasn't sort of a theoretical project in that it was quite embedded um, and it was with, and you partnered with Young Offenders on this project. And just, I was sort of interested to know why, is there a particular reason that you focused on, to working with Young Offenders on, on this case? Yeah, so... Um... My work started looking at NEETS, so young people not in education, employment or training. And then after that, um, I wanted to find a really specific context because like NEETS is like kids all over the UK and they're all doing different things and they're kind of really hard to sort of pin down by nature. Um, And so then I started looking deeper and deeper into the context. So if you have mainstream schools then you have pupil referral units, then you have NEETS who are like here, there, everywhere. And then I think in the most extreme case, you have young offenders. And in my opinion, like young offenders is something that's like society has really let these young kids down. If before the age of 17, you're within a prison. So like young offenders basically go to prisons, but for children. Um, So in the UK, you can be sent to a young offenders institute between the ages of 12 to 17, I think. Um, And so this seemed like a really extreme case for me. And so in this process of like mapping out the stakeholders and figuring out where would be a good context to test some of my ideas, 
young offenders seemed like a really um, good context that if I could make something work in a young offenders institute, then chances are then it could work in less extreme cases. And so that's mm-hmm. when I started working with the head of curriculum at Feltham Young Offenders Institute to sort of test some of the ideas. And um, and so it'd be good, I think, to know actually what those ideas were and sort of what was the outcome from that work. Sure. Um, lots of ideas. <laughs> so uh, as I said before about the ownership by design, so one of the key things was um, sort of switching the role of teacher and student. And so in Young Offenders Institutes, they have... Um, lots of teachers to not many students so it's one to three and so this is like a really unique case where you have lots of teachers and so you can be a bit more um, resource intense and so it was kind of this idea where like the students were able to navigate their own journey through the um, system and so it's difficult to explain but I'll try. Um, So it's kind of like a double diamond so you start with the discovery of what it is you want to learn then defining exactly what your learning goals are, then developing your own learning programme and then delivering on that learning programme. And these four stages are driven by the student and supported by a coach. And so the coach is there to help these young people develop the skills in order to reflect um, and discuss like critical reflection and sort of understand who they are, what they want to become and how they might be able to get there. And obviously this sounds huge, right? Like, how is that scalable is what some people say. And I think the important point is that um, these programmes are designed with the education provider. So it's not that you can be everything and anything. It's kind of constrained to what the education provider can offer. But not only that, in order to be responsible, there's this convergence between intrinsic motivators and extrinsic possibilities and opportunities. And so you're also working with outside employers and potential people that these young offenders might be able to work with um, after they finish their sentences. And so you kind of have this horizontal of like internal, external, as well as these four stages. It's really interesting how you've managed to take something that's, I suppose, feels kind of design led with the double diamond and actually apply that to kind of something a bit more practical and a bit more accessible, perhaps for younger people and just generally people rather than just kind of designers as well yeah definitely um and I think obviously without going into all of the details but it's it's kind of nice that it's like we can sort of understand it on the design level but then beneath each of these stages I've also designed the workshops and the resources that the coach and teacher and school would use in order to go through these stages um but it's funny like this double diamond came to me after deciding what stages need to be within this new system and then it just became obvious like wow okay this is a discovery phase this is a defining stage and I guess here like the messy the um wicked problem is like what do you want to learn why do you want to learn it how can you learn it like that's a huge problem um so I guess it kind of came to life from that yeah it's really interesting and when so um from what you were talking about with uh, working with the young offenders in Feltham, is it Feltham? Feltham, yeah. <laughs> no, young offenders. Um, were you, so one, were you able to actually implement the outcome for them and sort of how was that received? Um, and then also when you were implementing that, sort of what was the biggest challenge that you came across um, through doing that process? So 
the first half of the project, um, I was able to go into Feltham and speak to the young offenders and speak to their teachers. And I worked really closely with the head of curriculum. So uh, Feltham right now really is struggling to help these young people gain new qualifications and engage them in, in education. Um, and so that was really welcomed at the start. And I think they were really um, looking for like a new approach to education because the mainstream approach to education within such an extreme context where 90% of kids left school before the age of 16, 67% have been permanently excluded. Like it was apparently wasn't working. And so um, the kind of stage of doing the research and stuff, I was able to work with Feltham to do that. And then COVID happened, which I'm sure we can all relate to how difficult that is. Everyone uses and then. Yes. Um, and so I kind of went through the discovery bit and the defining bit with Felton and the head of curriculum. And then COVID happened. And um, I'm sure you can imagine how difficult that is within a prison context. So the children now like don't have hardly any time out of their cells and the school was closed and so this kind of contact time was near impossible and within Felton they don't have internet access and so to do it virtually just wasn't going to be possible so um, then I worked with students from mainstream schools but students who had recently um, been given poor grades for their GCSEs and obviously in the circumstances like a really stressful time these kids were really down about their education and not interested in school and so I sort of thought okay if we're talking about disengaged students a really great test case is kids that now can't go to school are at home parents are having to become teachers they're having to be self-driven in their learning and so even though the context is different the um, behavior change I was trying to invoke is the same so then I started working and running virtual workshops with these students and sort of going through these four stages that I mentioned before. Um, and that was really, really interesting. It was nice to see how by going through the programme, the students' confidence improved. I think in mainstream education, if you get bad grades, sometimes you just feel like I'm not going to be able to do or become anything. Um, and I think this was a nice opportunity and a nice pause, I guess, amidst the chaos of sort of thinking, okay, like maybe I can discover a new thing I'm passionate about, or maybe I don't have to be constrained to this really tight curriculum, or maybe there's um, an online course that I can do or something like that. And so the final output was tested with mainstream students to answer your question, um, and unfortunately hasn't been taken back to Felsen yet. But hopefully once the chaos has sort of lifted a bit, then now that it's been tested in um, mainstream schools, and that's something that I can take back. It sounds amazing. It's really great that there was almost um, a kind of silver lining to the challenge as well of COVID for you in that it was able to provide, like you said, a kind of alternative option, which I think I think we've all been there when we get a bad grade and you feel that that's it. Well, I can't ever do that again. And actually, of course, that's not the case. And I feel, yeah, I think I would have uh, appreciated that also <laughs> a few months ago. <laughs> we can do GID coaching. But... Yeah, GID coaching. Thank you. <laughs> um okay so any so other than what you've kind of been focusing on are there as you've been going through this process and doing your research and looking into this area are there any kind of really interesting case studies or anything that we could look at um that's kind of already working in this area and is already kind of making waves or yeah so um I spent a lot of time, I think during COVID, everyone's doing a lot of virtual calls. So that was also a good time. Everyone's spending a lot of time at home, so they were a bit more free. So I managed to speak to 
um, the programme manager of Secure Schools. So Secure Schools are going to take over from Young Offenders Institutes. Um, and it's basically this idea that um, preventative is much better than reactive. So react uh, prisons are much more reactive and you're very constrained and you're in these cells and everything's um, very rigid. Whereas Secure Schools is kind of a lot more like normal life. I mean, yeah, it is closed in, so the young offenders obviously have to stay on site. But I think this much more kind of therapeutic approach to education and um, like looking after these vulnerable children, I think that's definitely a really interesting area. And there's going to be a couple of those opening up in the next year, I think. So that was a really great person to talk to. And the other one is um, the founder of In-House Records, Judah. So he worked with Feltham as well, and he basically started a um, music production company within the prison. And even though music is what you like, is like the superficial thing that he was trying to achieve, it was actually the values underneath um, being part of a community and having structure and commitment and achieving something. Those were the things he wanted to achieve. So I think we really resonated on these core values of what's really important to these young people. And then music for him was a great way to sort of reach them. And I guess that's like the engagement piece again. If you want to engage people, you have to first of all go with something they're intrinsically motivated, uh, motivated to achieve. And then after that, you can sort of do the things underneath. So I think, yeah, those two were really interesting to talk to. That sounds really interesting. Um, I suppose finally, um, what's next? What's next? Um, so I think as I started, um, my big passion and purpose piece is to work on projects that open up opportunities to young people from disadvantaged backgrounds. And um, my projects obviously focus on young offenders, but I'm also really passionate about that in the case of neets um and kids that are maybe dropping out of school stuff like that so super open to have people contact me and hear more about projects like that and would love to kind of collaborate i've had a few people message me already so i'm having like interesting discussions about that um i'm also working with founders academy so i did a placement with them uh, last year and they are an alternative education provider um, so they're in the midst of pivoting to like a different business model um, based on what's happening at the moment with COVID. So it's been really nice. That I can still go and work with them and help them design their product and stuff like that. Um, and then, yeah, who knows? We'll see. <laughs> well, but, I mean, good luck with everything. It sounds really interesting. It sounds like you've got some amazing kind of next steps as well. Um, and thanks very much for sharing about your project <laughs> instead of just talking, having to talk about everyone else's. Thank you, Jess. Thank you for taking over as the podcaster. You did amazing. Welcome. You found a <laughs> new avenue for you. Yeah, watch out. <laughs> You're taking over. Um, amazing. Thank you so much, Jess. You're welcome. Speak to you soon. Bye. thank you to Jess and a big thank you to everybody else who came on the podcast. Um, I think it's actually much more difficult being on the side having to answer the questions so now I can definitely relate to how you guys must have been feeling. Hopefully I don't sound too awkward or nervous. 
Um, and that's it. That's the end of the GID podcast series. Thank you so much for listening and be sure to go back to the other episodes if you haven't heard them already. We've now got 11 students talking about their final year projects. Um, And be sure to come along to the RCA virtual show and there's different events that the GID students are also running alongside that. You can find the link to that in the podcast description. Um, And that's it. That's all for me. Thank you so much. Uh, Speak to you soon. Bye.